Now back to the Pete McMurray Show. Here's Pete and Lisa. When you think of one of the greatest drummers of all time, Charlie Watts usually isn't in the first few guys you think of. But when you think of one of the most influential drummers of all time, that's when Charlie Watts comes to mind. Paul Sexton is the author of a brand new book called Charlie's Good Tonight, The Life, The Times, The Rolling Stones, the authorized biography of Charlie Watts. And Paul joins us now. Paul, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. How are you? Paul, I remember reading, and I can't remember who said it, but it was something like Charlie Watts was an elegant drummer. He was the Cary Grant of rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad description. Um, it's certainly the most stylish man I ever met in, in this business, I tell you. You know, looked a million dollars. Uh, at the same time, probably the most modest man I ever met in rock and roll as well. For 60 years, the guy kept the beat for the world's greatest rock and roll band and never missed a gig. That says something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Although, you know what? One of the things that we reveal in the book, and it, it was kind of out there if you looked hard enough, he actually did miss one once. I know that <gasps> spoils the story. <laughs> but there's one time early on in 1964 where, by his own admission, he, <laughs> he got a little confused about dates and uh, missed one show. But one in 57 years, not bad, right? Well, and you know that the guilt from missing that one show is what propelled him to <laughs> never do it again. Exactly. Yeah, he, um, he never forgave himself. <laughs> that is so funny. Missed a gig in 1964. Paul, my first date with my wife was September 23rd, 1997, Soldier Field, Bridges to Babylon Tour, I wanted to make it special. My wife was a huge Stones fan. I love the Rolling Stones, and boom, here we are, married 21 years later. That's pretty good going. Do you know what? I can tell you, I was there. I went to that show. Really? Yeah. Did I was you... so lucky. I got to cover, and I have had the chance to cover, you know, opening nights of, of many Stones shows, and uh, that one uh, stays in the mind very much. So uh, we shared a gig there. Do you remember me making out with my uh, then-girlfriend at the time? <laughs> that's, that's who that was. <laughs> I have not seen the Rolling Stones without Charlie Watts. Have you? I'm sure you have. Yes. And? I have now, yeah. Um, sad, sadly, although it's still great, um, I saw them twice on this uh, European tour that they just finished recently and was lucky enough to go out to the first night, actually, in Madrid, um, and then saw them at the first of the two Hyde Park shows okay. uh, in London. And they're uh, still selling out ridiculous numbers. You know, they, the, the two Hyde Park shows, they sold out two sixty-five thousand capacities uh, in consecutive weekends. So, you know, the, the appetite to see this band is completely un undiminished. But, yeah, I'm not going to say it wasn't a little strange without, especially the first one in Madrid. You know, it's quite emotional, really. Especially right. having I was just finishing the book at that point, and I knew I had just had time in terms of the deadline to um, go to the Madrid show and make that. It's kind of the final scene in the book, really. You know, this idea being wow. the road still goes on, of course, you know, even without Charlie. But uh, And Steve Jordan, who is the guy in place now, is a fantastic drummer. You know, he's, he's a wonderful choice as a, as a, and had Charlie's approval, you know, if, uh, if he ever uh. fell ill. Um, it just, you know, just visually, mainly, it kind of looks strange, you know, to see somebody else at the back there. So weird, because so many times we think of the drummer as really the heart of the band. If your drummer is bad, you are going to have a horrible gig. Do you think that yep, Charlie's that right. style really influenced modern drummers? Like any bands where you think of where you say, ah, that's a Charlie. Well, you know, I think it's a general thing. I would say that he, he brought something genuinely unique to, um, to, to, to rock and roll, really, because the, the key to him, of course, as many people will know, is that he came from jazz, and that remained his great passion throughout his life. 
he wouldn't mind me saying this, he was not a fan of the Rolling Stones music. You know, he never listened to it outside of work, really. <laughs> um, his wife did, his wife Shirley, you know, his beloved wife to whom he was married for 57 years, she did. You know, she played the records at home. But Charlie always said to me, and, and I'm sure to others, that um, he liked their music when, when they were in the studio making it, but he didn't actually play it really any time after that, unless he had to for some kind of work reason. But um, yeah, in terms of the style, typical think, musician know, just playing the gig yeah, to make the money. Doesn't care what it is; they just want that paycheck. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that shocking? No, he was absolutely dedicated. He loved he loved the Stones. You know, don't get me wrong; he was extremely proud of them and everything that they did, and he loved the the kind of collective spirit, the camaraderie between. Them. That's really what kept him there for so many years. In terms of how he played, it's just that thing about him playing across the beat rather than on it kind of thing, you know, that jazz sensibility. So right. um, in, a, in a subtle way, I, I, yeah, I'm sure it has influenced a lot of people. He's, he's kind of everybody's hero, really, isn't he, in terms, of, in, in terms of drummers, I think. Yes, and I think so many people don't understand the importance of across the beat. There is something visceral that happens when you hear someone slightly mess with the tempo against what everyone else is doing. It makes it more... Yeah electric and exciting because you kind of aren't really sure what's going to happen next. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we, I've got a couple of entries in, in the book which I relayed from, Keith, from Keith's book. Um, you know, he kept a diary in those early days, and, and I've repeated a couple of notes that he made when they finally got Charlie, because, you know, they, they kind of headhunted him, and they were chasing him to join the Stones for quite a while, and he resisted for, for a while because... He was making good money, A, as a, as a, a session drummer or on the, on the London circuit, and also as a graphic designer, which was his, uh, you know, his first skill, or his first job anyway. So when he finally joined, you know, he'd said, well, I, you know, I'm not too sure about this, because uh, you've only got one gig a week, and I, you know, I can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when they got their second regular gig, he went, all right, I'll give it a try. And he thought, it'll probably be done by the end of the year, right? You know, it'll never last. Right, and right. That is so funny. Later, there he, there he is, yeah. We're talking with Paul Sexton. The name of the book is called Charlie's Good Tonight, uh, the authorized biography of Charlie Watts. Mick and Charlie, Paul, had a special bond you could feel on stage. And Mick always had great things to say about Charlie. My favorite story, and I don't know if it's urban legend or not. I want you to clarify it. Charlie really didn't like touring didn't like living out of a suitcase. And when it was time to tour, Mick would run over to Charlie's farmhouse. You could see someone coming up to the farmhouse from a long distance away. Charlie would tell his wife, Shirley, do not answer the door because you won't see me for two years. <laughs> that's so great. You know, that story's not in the book, but I, I feel like I need to add it. To the, to the <laughs> yeah, I mean, he said to me, I remember this from the very first time I met Charlie in the, in the early 90s. He said, my idea of hell is the night before a, a, a tour starts, <laughs> sitting there staring at my open suitcase, you know, oh. thinking, it's all about to start, I'm going to be away all this time. And he didn't like traveling. He loved playing. And he, as I say, he loved the camaraderie. But the actual traveling part of it and being away from his beloved family, can't stress that enough, right. um, was, was really not something he enjoyed. When they came out to visit him, you know, when Shirley, his wife, and then Serafina, his daughter, and then later on, uh, Charlotte, his granddaughter, would come out, he was... He lit up, you know, he was just so much happier because they brought a little piece of home with them. Of course. And the the story goes on to say that Mick would come to the door. He would knock on the door. Charlie would reluctantly open the door and he would say yes. And the joke was Charlie would only bring one suit on tour thinking he'd be home the next day. <laughs> yeah, that was just sort of, 
wishful thinking, I reckon. You know, there's, there's a lot of stories, loads of stories in the book about how you know the, his, the, the care that he took in in packing and unpacking. Uh, Keith said to me, watching Charlie pack was like watching a Buddhist ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so very, much very love and, and calmness. You know, they would mess with his uh, with his socks or something, or put one out of place, and he would always know. He's like, "Who's been messing with my stuff?" <laughs> it doesn't seem like traveling with one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time is is like really the way to be. Like, oh, I'm the really anal retentive guy. <laughs> like, people are gonna mess with you. It's rock and roll, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if the worst thing that happens to you is that people move, is that people move your socks around, then you're not doing too badly, are you? Tell me about the bond between Mick and Charlie, Keith and Charlie, and Ron and Charlie. Well, fascinating. You know, any combination, any two of the stones, because I've been so lucky to interview them so many times over all these decades. And, you know, you see them together, and, you know, just the, the, the individual chemistry between any two of them is fantastic. Mick, Mick and uh, Charlie were, were close, you know, and uh, they, they were both huge cricket fans. They go to the test match together. They worked very closely together on the design of the shows because Charlie, with his back, his design background, was a key part of that. Most people, it was never credited. Oh, wow. You know, any of those enormous shows that you saw, he had a lot to do with the design of, of them, you know. So that was those two. I mean, Charlie and Keith, I always think Keith pretty much hero worshipped Charlie. You know, he, he would mention him in every interview wow. and just say, I cannot believe that I've got the treat of playing with this guy. You know, he was just so humble about it. Um, and Charlie and Ronnie together, you know, normally you would only interview each stone individually, but I did interview Charlie and Ronnie together a couple of times. And they're kind of like naughty schoolboys, you know, just mucking around. <laughs> <laughs> it's always sort of in jokes that you're trying to figure out what the hell they're on about, you know? What's your favorite Stones album? Uh, Push Comes to Shove, I probably would have to go for Exile, I think. Exile. Okay, how did the band yeah. survive the recording of Exile on Main Street. I mean, they were in a villa in the south of France. There was drugs being brought in oh, every other day. Horrible. Everybody yeah. was stopping by the dude drugs. How did they survive that recording? I have no idea. I don't think they know either. I, I interviewed them about it when it was reissued. Remember, there was the deluxe, the first, the first of what proved to be a lot of these deluxe reissues. Right, um, right. In about 2010. It went, and the, amazingly, it went back to number one here in the UK, you know, for the second time, 38 years later. And the interviews then, I mean, obviously, a lot of it they couldn't remember. <laughs> you know, there was a, quite a lot of, I, was it, who played on that record again? You know, Nick <laughs> said to me, you know, yeah, there was a lot of drugs, but it, it's not like working down the mill. It's a rock and roll environment. What do you think? Right. You know? If you look at the credits, you're right. There is about 30 musicians that just popped in for a song and left. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah, and yeah, and in and out, and uh, they, they can't remember which is which. Paul, love the book. Thank you so much for coming on. Paul Sexton, Charlie's Good Tonight, the authorized biography of Charlie Watts. Paul, continued success. Thank you, guys. Good to talk to you. More of The Pete McMurray Show next.